0: Hi, I'm Caroline Carey, and you know I'm always inspired by other people's life stories, so I listen for the soul journey that is interwoven between each individual's experiences throughout their life. Join me to hear for yourself how each narrative becomes a transformative and inspiring message for us all. Enjoy the podcasts. this conversation is with Rose, who is London based, uh, born in Yorkshire. She is a writer, an editor, a poet and a dancer. And she has a particular interest in the advantages of age. I saw the film that she created with others called Dance Me to Death. And I thought, wow, this is this is such an important topic in this day and age. How do we challenge the media stereotypes around ageing is certainly an interest for me. Um, and so I've been interested in following this particular enterprise. So here's Rose. She is going to share who she is, what she does, what she's about, and some of the journey she's been on to come to this place today and what her purpose is. Enjoy.
1: Yeah, I'm a journalist and a writer, and I guess I have to say that in about 2010, there was a big change in my life in that, um, you know, journalism, freelance journalism, as I knew it, was no longer sustainable. And that was a big crisis for me because You know, I love journalism. Journalism for me was all about, like I used to say, it's like, you know, it's like hitchhiking, really. It's like you, I love being thrust into different people, maybe Lord Bewley, or it may be Shane McGowan. And I, that in my, in my life, that's what I want, is I want to be thrust into, that's, you know, I don't aim to have loads of riches. That for me is riches, to be thrust in that. So, so so it was a tragedy and I really was, you know, lost and all sorts of things when I, fa- I realised, oh my God, I can't sustain, G- journalism no longer will sustain me. And I had to change into being a PR and I felt quite snotty about being a PR. You know, I wanted to be a journalist, not a PR, but I wanted the same lifestyle. So I wanted to work at home, So PR, I could do it for friends, I could do it for a band of brothers, they were one of my first clients and are still. But around that, what I decided was that around that, around my paid bread and butter thing, the thing was, I could get more creative, I could be more creative than I'd ever been in journalism. So that's what I did, I decided, okay, right, I'll be a poet, I'll do different things that are not focused on money, that are kind of like, okay, we can be free in this way, and we can just explore, so I started actually uh, doing a project in Harlsdon, which is where I live, which is a pretty, I mean, I live on the borders, really, of of Kensal Green and Harlsdon, and a pretty tough place, you know, I mean, it's poor and there's a lot of people without money and I realized okay I, I've lived here for quite a while now and I don't really know Harlsdon so oh. I um started a project which lasted for four years where I invited people from Harlesden to walk with me and I made it into a book so that oh. that coasted between Somalian um, community organizers Roda Ibrahim to my news agent, jad who'd come over from Pakistan in 1964 to work at the McVitie's biscuit factory and also sold boxing gloves that came from his hometown in Pakistan. So, and then to Louis Theroux, more famous people, I persisted because I'm a big persister. I uh, persisted in pursuing and Louis Theroux said yes in the end and then I had... because. The thing was that what I was doing was kind of recreating my rock and... So I used to be a rock and roll journalist interviewing people from Joan Byers to Jay McGowan to, you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. So, and and they were fun. In the 80s, I had really good fun being sent all over the world by by newspapers and things to interview people. So I recreated this in Harlesden in a way. So I, I invited people to walk with me like, lutheran walk with me for a few hours because in those days we always get got a few hours with people you know it wasn't like you were thrust in front of a pr and got an hour like they get these days you got to experience life with them
0: so lovely and and dear shane of course has just passed away so it must be quite lost for you you must have been quite close in some ways getting to know him well certainly you know there are people like him, uh, that yeah, you kind of. I mean,
1: even more than that, I used to bump bump into him down Portobello Road. I mean, you know, anybody that knew Shane McGowan always thought he wouldn't last that long because of the extremity of his lifestyle was more extreme than mine at the time. Um. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, those big people, Sinead O'Connor. No. Oh, uh, shame yeah. we Gowan all going at the same time but you know I'm constantly having a relationship with all of that still anyway so yeah I walked with Louis through for about four hours and we had a complete ball and he ended up writing my forward I made it into a book which is you know it's still selling in Harleston. it's great because it's kind of it's where I I'm into my neighbourhood. I'm into you know when I can't do anything politically, when I'm feeling powerless politically, I get involved with my neighbourhood, and I feel very involved with my neighbourhood. So uh, this thing of I as I got to those kind so I'm seventy now, and I was probably well, I was fifteen years younger. So I started doing things. I started doing poetry. I had my first pamphlet about <laughs> Tantric Goddess when I was. 64 and then um in 2000 and actually i met suzanne uh through lynn franks but she came to one of my readings of that book i i did a reading of my harlesden book at queen's park books and suzanne who's my partner in advantages of age which is kind of where we were starting which is um a social enterprise that I co-founded with her I met her through the book and then she said being from New York she said and she lives in Kilburn I've got a hot tub in my garden what about coming round to this group who were at that book launch and that's what happened we started so probably like you I had been in lots of women's groups I mean in the 2000s yeah in the 2000s really Uh, and you know done all that processing of emotions and being there and seeing myself mirrored in other people not actually at this juncture which is about 2015 I really did fancy something lighter and suddenly the hot tub came and it was like oh it was joyful it was just four of us five of us meeting in her hot tub taking food around and we were, at the time we were between the ages of 46 and 64. And we just got talking not long after we'd started our monthly hot tub. We started talking about fuck this, fuck how we're represented in the press. You know, me, I was the oldest as this kind of sagging invisible person where we were all involved with some kind of creative Mm -hmm. endeavor. Mm -hmm so we were just like no this is not how we are and hey and so one of us said what about you know what about calling whatever it is advantages of age and i went away to bali or somewhere at the christmas time and then by the time i got back Suzanne, being the woman that she is madam can do uh she created a website which meant when I got back, I had to start commissioning for the website because here was an empty website, and that's kind of how our relationship has evolved. It's like Susanne will do something, and then I'll have to go. Okay, well now I've got to do the next thing.
0: <laughs> um, good. But it... good connection there. That's that. Sounds like you've got a very good partnership. Of uh... we have because she,
1: she is she's very different to me she's a serial entrepreneur and also she's I'd say she is more driven around making money and I'm more driven around I'm not I mean I'm more driven around meandering I mean I'm really eclectic and I love kind of finding out information in different areas I love bringing people together I'm definitely kind of a community kind of person so I've I curate at some stage i mean I, I we got a an arts council grant in 2017 by this time we'd have the the facebook um no not the facebook group the the website going and i'd been commissioning loads already for it but we got this arts council grant to do a series of performances around taboo stuff around aging so mm-hmm. Um, We made a film called Death Dinner, which consisted of (coughs) me inviting 10 people, I think it was, from death world, as I call it. So a death doula, um, somebody who was an expert, academic expert in ritual, the ritual aspects of death, Um, a mortician who was quite well known, a psychotherapist who is very interested in death, John Crow, um, who runs the Crossbones, um, project, that cemetery in, um, South, in Bermondsey, where, you know, there was the, the burial place for lots of sex workers, and they, mm-hmm. they made it, that there weren't, um, it was an unsacred, whatever it's called. was anyway, they commemorated the but these sex workers who were who had been buried there by creating a whole scene there. So we we mm-hmm. had this discussion and filmed it around oh, and the thing is I bring in everything in that I've been influenced by. And there's definitely a kind of flamboyant aspect to to advantages of age and on that occasion, I invited people to come dressed as they'd like to be buried or burnt. Um, okay. So people came in really, I mean, Caroline Rosie Dent, who's a death doula and runs the Death Cafe, came in a, an amazing Victorian outfit. Uh, and, you know, Liz Rothschild, who um, has a natural burial ground in Oxfordshire, she came in her pajamas. So it was. <laughs> a wonderful and we had in we made it although the film ended up as a discussion around a round table which was had a feast upon it it was very painterly the whole night I had a whole load of performance in it we used the catacombs i had a, somebody inviting people over the threshold we had a cello player we had the queen of the night in the catacombs whispering me in people's ears how would it be if you died tomorrow mm. so we and I love all of
0: that. That no, sounds so good. <laughs> it's it's um and and you know to have that kind of relationship with with purpose the relationship with purpose just sounds a very beautiful thing which for a lot of aging folk tend to lose you've got a goal you've got a you've got a purpose together that um it sounds very fruitful and very inspiring and I think a lot of people tend to miss out on that sort of thing.
1: I mean I guess that but when I get scared of things like getting older or what you know I mean it is there is a lot of fear in our society about getting older and a lot of denigration in there and you know fear of dying so um so therefore I mean I decide that to to just tackle it (laughs) you know I mean the Sunday Times called us the punks of getting older and I feel like that is our attitude. I am very influ i mean I'm an old hippie and an old punk, so and I bring both of those influences to it and um yeah, I have a very kind of DIY attitude to things
0: and uh, nice. and you have the ideal partner for that who's entrepreneurial who's going to help get things out there and give that that face to the world hey, which is is a wonderful thing. So what are the advantages of aging?
1: well i think mainly the advantages of aging are if you can you know face it that are that it's just a much more relaxed time in your life because you mm. don't care about the same you're not preoccupied even the libido thing is so liberating in a way not to have not to be driven by the same level of libido mm. it's an amazing thing i mean i really rejoice in that <laughs> I mean, because I don't have to be, I mean, I do have a relationship with a man who lives in North Wales and we've been together for 10 years. But I and I love that, that we're living, at, you know, I'm 70, he's 80 and we, we live this far from one another, but we still make it work between the urban and the deep countryside. Um, I mean, and I want us, not just us personally, but the group to be, you know, role models for living differently, living our 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 age and getting older differently. So all of those things come into it. So the libido thing, I think that's a a massive thing that people, you know, they have sorrow and grief around losing libido. Um, I mean, and I have people I know because I know lots of younger people too, women. Um, I have a lot of grief around that. But, you know, I I find it, and I think a lot of people find it liberating in fact. And even the invisibility thing, when we have discussions about invisibility, which, I mean, our Facebook group is so brilliant. It's very discursive. So lots of people discuss things. And yeah, when we discuss invisibility, it's not as kind of clear cut as, oh, well, you know, the, the media make us invisible, the society makes us invisible, we're going to be visible. And look, I mean, I'm quite visible, I make myself visible, I wear flowers in my hair. But the the thing is, there is there are some advantages, I feel, and I feel that others feel, to the invisibility, that it's not always wanting to be visible, it's actually quite an advantage, an advantage in a way to have... <laughs> to have that quietness. If you can, you know, reside in it in a good way. If it's not like I'm feeling powerless in a medical situation, you know, because I know there's the other side is that, you know, I mean, I'm aware that I'm 70. And if I got caught, for instance, in the medical world, you know, then you get classified as frail and things very quickly. And then how that can influence your whole (laughs) mental attitude towards things so That's, so i know all of these things have another side but i'd say the chief advantage of the age is really not to give a fuck anymore about things that you really you know might have been very preoccupied by yes. when you were younger <laughs> and that you know that is a massively brilliant thing i mean i do feel i mean in general i would say i do feel you know much more content i mean i met somebody after being single um and a single mom for many years and when i was 60 so i mean i also kind of like carry the beacon of that that you know if you're, in, if you're a woman in your 50s and you do want to meet someone, I believe you can if you want to. I just decided I was going to mm. <laughs> at some stage after having some desperate times going for unavailable men, uh, constantly no. did, you know, lots of tantra work and then, you know, kind of allowed myself to choose somebody who was a good man. <laughs> I mean, that's key oft- often, yeah. <laughs>
0: Very good, very good. So tell me about yourself as a as a, a youngster as a as a little child, because I love the stories of where where our passions and our um you know the things that we love to do in the world, like where do they originate? What were you like when you were very young?
1: Um, I suppose I had the gift, and I suppose it was kind of a gift of the age, is that, you know, I really battled with my parents. I was a battler, I was a um you know I mean my parents did give me an awful lot and I I, so love going back to Yorkshire these days I think we have a kind of feeling about home as we I was just there um you know more as we get older we it's not I'm going to move there but I do feel strongly when I'm there that mm. I love Yorkshire so deeply mm. and I, I really get into some old rituals that we used to, you know old walks my my grandparents, my great grandparents came over from Ireland and they worked for the bleach mill that was bleaching the wool. And we do a walk that is to the place where my mum used to take uh, <laughs> um, sandwiches to her dad and, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, um, but my I had the gift of rebellion. I was a fighter then. I fought my parents an awful lot. And... You know, that gives you, so there are some things that are a disadvantage of that. I think a a kind of, maybe a distrust and a a closed heart in some ways, but you develop an amazing um, resilience. I did. And independent spirit, you know, always hitchhiking, um, not telling them, you know, those kind of things. And, but my father was, Something I love to say: autodid. He was an autodidact. <laughs> so he came from a working class family in London and married my mum up in Yorkshire. And you know, he didn't have the he didn't have the privilege of being able to stay at school. He had to look after his dad, his mum, because his dad had died. So um, he taught himself. He he was an even he read a lot. He was a voracious reader. And no. so that's what I did. I read his books. I read all the books on his mm-hmm. bookshelf, and that kind of introduced me to because That was everything from in cold blood um to um you know a girl with a brown eye. oh, just loads of from novels to to non fiction and it really started me loving books and I suppose that is the thing that has been the key to my love of words um, and then the whole way that society was around you know rebellion I mean that also t- caused me to choose I mean you know um we didn't choose university colleges or because that we wanted to do that subject and well in my case mm-hmm. I chose it because wanted to get as far away from them as I could Mm. I chose French and I didn't really ever use French but I ended up living in Paris you know and Paris has living for a year in Paris was you know it has been seminal in in who I am now because I went to loads of theatre I saw loads of cinema so um yeah yeah and and also I do find you know I had old fashioned grandparents who had an allotment and baked and mm-hmm. and looked after us in that kind of way, and that also is very much part of who I am at the same time, you know, so yeah, I feel
0: like I, I love have... that you talk about the the gift of rebellion, you know that being a like that's something really I, I can i can totally relate to that because i I was very <laughs> much the same, but what is that gift, do you think?
1: Well, I just think it is that, that we didn't have to, I didn't have to learn to kind of uh, say fuck off to people. I mean, which a lot of British people don't get to say fuck off to people until they are in their 70s or whatever. You know, I was doing it for a long time. I've been, I've been going down my own path, which can be lonely. I'm not saying it can't. I mean, mm-hmm. I chose to be an outsider. I was always freelance at you know i did i was always concerned that my son i have one son didn't do the same as me quite be so outsiderish you know i mean in a financial sense always freelance and always worrying about money in that way um but but it did the gift of rebellion really did get me to travel to mm. have adventures to always say yes to adventures which you know, that for me as well is the key to living in life. It really is. Without adventures, I I mean, and I can make an adventure walking down Halston High Street, I have to say. You know, it's just talking to people. It's just engaging with people a lot of the time. Yeah. And I really do love that spirit. I mean, that hitchhiking spirit, trust yeah. in in people and that they might give you a lift and it might end up with you staying the night with them you know something that seems you know un, unthinkable in a way in
0: our oh, society I, yes i, I now i totally get i mean i used to hitch i used to just go out on the road and put my thumb up when i was a teenager you know and and sometimes with kids as well you know i just think oh let's go for an adventure and i can remember sleeping in the back of lorries on cardboard boxes and all sorts of things like just just to just to, yeah. go, just to be free um yeah. you know, yeah. the, other people might have called me a Slightly crazy. My parents certainly did, but um, in this day and age, it's a bit unhurt. You know, you wouldn't do that sort of thing, would you? But wouldn't. I didn't think so easily. But um, in those days, yeah, certainly sixties, seventies, there was there was there was something something else in the air. So, what what was your first career? Did you leave school and get straight into something? Or
1: no, I mean no, I I really um, what did I do? Oh, I came to London. And and then I felt unemployable because I was a I've been unemployable all my life. So um I eventually I was living in a squat, a legal squat in Shepherd's Bush. I mean the joys of squatting it was so amazing. I tried to force my son into squatting and I've had no 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 luck whatsoever, no luck. <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i know squatting's illegal now but it, just in even guardianship i mean just to live a bit more of an uncomfortable life because it's if you expect kind of quality items so early on there's no hope for you is my thought you know because then you're not going to rough it in life and in, you've got to be willing to rough it to, to feel everything i feel anyway we had a brilliant time in that in that squat it it There were musicians living upstairs. Um, We had huge rooms, we could have huge parties. It enabled me that squat. I had it for 10 years. Um, To start as a freelance journalist, I didn't start being a freelance journalist until, oh, my first job was working for the restaurant in the ICA. So the Institute of Contemporary Art. So it was my way into the arts was to work at the Institute of God behind in the restaurant, and okay. it did. It, it was the seventies. It was like nineteen seventy six. It was the heart of punk, and and it honestly, the ICA was a flipping mad place. I mean, there were fights in the corridors. There was. Cozy Fanny Tootie exhibiting her bloody Tampax. There was, you know, there was just everything going on. The Clash and the Raincoats playing at the ICA. It was my education. That is, you know, (laughs) things like that have been my education. Then I worked at the Roundhouse when, you know, everybody from Debbie Harry and everybody with, with the Stranglers, Paddy Smith, they were all playing there. So, I mean in many ways my education around arts and art came through those kind of working at those kind of venues I didn't think that I would end up you know 30 years however many years later getting Arts Council grants I mean I was very far from that but really along the way it has influenced me so I also had a boyfriend in New Orleans so I went and lived in New Orleans I traveled in in South America, and then by the end of my 20s, I was thinking, oh, actually, I'd like to be a journalist, but I was too old to train because, in those days, as a graduate, you had to be under 24 to do a postgraduate journalism thing, and nobody would take me as a, an, an apprentice at you know 29. So, funnily enough, there was, and it was this was so great. There was an East End newspaper that was a cooperative, that was a left-wing cooperative newspaper that was setting up, that I think advertised in Time Out for people, for volunteers to go and work there. So I was working in Shepherd's Bush. I mean, I was living in Shepherd's Bush and I travelled to the East End. And basically I just got opportunities to, so my first interview was Ian jury They just sent me to interview in Jury. I didn't, you know. I didn't have any training or anything I just went off and did it and I loved it straight away I was just like I love this I totally love it so I had things published in that newspaper and there were a few people I still know now it became German listen and then I thought okay after six months I thought okay I have had some things published I'll try and get some kind of work in journalism and honestly I knew nothing about music I still don't um but I thought okay I read some of the music reviews and I thought okay and they're all blokes You yeah, know, a lot of blokes writing for young men writing for music papers and I thought okay I think I can do this so I just walked into a music paper called Sounds that actually was known for heavy metal but was much more eclectic then it appeared and I walked in and the editor just said yeah okay review stuff for us and write stuff for us and I I got and it was fantastic working for sounds I have to say they I was in this squad I didn't earn much money but I started being sent all over the place and they were very open to all sorts of I remember doing a huge article on heroin not I knew anything about heroin but I just Researched it, and it was like a massive double page spread. so journalism then you could just it was very much like I mean, it was like interviewing people was it was easier to interview you didn't have to go through a barrage of things to mm, to get things. Mm. you just could walk into offices and say, "Look, I do this. can I have a job?"
0: Uh, very different in those days, hey to yeah, me. Very yeah, very different
1: very different.
0: And but I, you had the wild spirit to to get in there and just go for things. <clears throat> Which, you know, for a lot of people would be very hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, but that's because I was unemployable. I mean, I was too fr- I mean, really, I was being driven by the fear of being employed. So okay. I was kind of making it happen for myself because it was the only way that I could that I that I could do it. If you see what I mean. It was the yeah, only yeah. that I could do.
0: Great motivator, yeah. I mean, got you there, got you an interesting life, and you've done fascinating things. So, and and what about dance? You mentioned dance um, that you've been dancing with as part of this um, elderhood, aging.
1: Yeah. So dance. I mean, I you know, and I was lucky enough to be around people who were the first people who trained with Gabrielle Roth, and so Five Rhythms started for me. In the early 90s and i had a teacher who was one of my best friends called carol lee actually who's a who's an artist and she did the most wonderfully eccentric classes i mean we would start and do stream of consciousness tarot writings from tarot i actually learned to read tarot from this because i was so inspired by doing it in the middle and we had a friend of ours who had a didgeridoo and he'd do sacred healing sessions in the middle of the five rhythms. I mean, things are a bit more, you know, have a bit more of a classic form now in five rhythms. But in those days, I mean, and they were very inspiring. I had Marlon, my son, was um about five or six running in and out of cupboards as we were doing okay. our five rhythms so it started with five rhythms and
0: i was a five rhythms teacher trained myself with gabrielle <laughs> so i know that world yeah, and... <laughs> <laughs> you were involved with um what's it
1: and what's it Yakov and weren't you well i
0: started I, I started some of my trainings with that yes and i was part of the school of movement medicine for a long time and um yeah yeah but um yes gabrielle's my uh my hero my heroine loves her and uh, had a wonderful training with her. But yes, yeah, so I, I, I remember those days where it was, it was quite quirky, it, you know, it Gabrielle it's encouraged that as much as anything. And she I, the one thing that I always remember with her, is she said, you know, find your own way, find your own thing. Do you know, I know it's much, it's very different now. It, it's much more structured. But in those days, it was find your way. And I did. And I found my way with it. So it's, a, it's yeah, it's been a fascinating journey. But tell us more about the advantages of aging and dance. Um,
1: well, so I'm just adding here, just because because it all influenced me, is that so um, in the 90s, as well as Five Rhythms, I did all the ritual work. So, you know, there was a Wild Dance event that was run by Richard Olivier. I think actually I found out a bit about it because I interviewed uh, this amazingly charismatic guy called Jackie Levin, who used to be in the New York York Dolls. He was a big bear of a charismatic man. He lived in West London and he told me about men's groups. This must have been the early 90s. And I was just, I was enchanted by him. He was a singer um, and he was involved with Richard Olivier, um, who started mythodrama and, and also so he told me about, about his men's group I was enchanted by him and I was very friendly with a younger man at the time and he just split up with my um, the father and my son and I was really hanging out with a young hippie and I got him to go to this men's group and then they started doing, they started getting Richard, um, Robert Bly to come over, Michael Mead to come over. And they started this group called Wild Dance Events. And there were, was just amazing. And it was men and women, in fact, that were involved. It was mainly a men's thing, but there were things that you could both go to. So the, there were some, so I I went to them. So I was talking, when I met, um, What's his name? Eric Madden in summer, because I know you've had him on here. Yes, yes. We ended up being completely talking non-stop. We went to it. I met him at a ceilidh in North Wales, because it's near where my i have been meaning to meet him for years, Eric Merlin. Anyway, we ended up talking like we were like nonstop about the ritual work that we'd done in the 90s because it was all the same thing. And we were kind of like, oh, my God, we hardly meet anybody who's done this work at this time. So it was like grief ritual, huge grief rituals with uh, Maladoma Some, where we built a village and then did a whole weekend of grief were just throwing yourself at the floor, basically, and just mm-hmm. sobbing and being carried back by other people. It's like World War One. It was like trenches. It was like people collapsing. It was a massive. They were massive, massive things. And this magical, one of the most magical weekends was was um, a men and women's weekend that was run by um, Guatemalan shaman called Martín Practal and we had to do things like learn each other men and women bless making shrines a men's shrine and a women's shrine then leading the men to the women's shrine and blessing the men and blessing in the women I mean and learning each other's soul sounds I mean that was just so profound and has has affected me ever since. I hold that with me. William Iyer was part of that. I remember blessing him, feeling like he was every man that I'd ever met. And, you know, it's just like, I shiver even thinking about it. They were really magical times because of the, the width and the breadth of them. So, yeah, there was all of that. So, and there was, you know, I was a member of, so I went to something called the Field of Love for about, 10 years (laughs) which was five rhythms but it was also the art of being influenced by the art of being which came from Alan Lowen and was tantra work basically so um the field of love was run by Tim Broughton who is a five rhythms teacher and I became and we did it every year and it was a 10-day camp and I got to kind of do I ended up kind of running it for a few years with him and his partner at the time, my, one of my best friends at the time, Jane. And, he, you know, I did a lot during that time that influenced me. I, I presented the cabaret. I'd have an idea, like I'd go to a tantra, fe- I went to a tantra festival in, in Catalonia and they had this amazing ritual where, first of all, the men, um, no the women gave to the men and we did things like wash their feet we me and Monique Roffey a friend of mine we feathered men they just lay down naked you know it's quite out there it's quite great but it was be- actually <laughs> beautiful gifts is what it was it was kind of giving you know washing people that it had a ritual part to it mm. it was fun too but it was great and I brought that to the field of life i said oh i can lead this thing but it, i made it into i brought the innocence i said look let's be all 13 year olds we're not dealing with all the sexuality stuff what we're doing is we're going back into wonder and i'm going to lead you over this threshold and right. <laughs> and so what i mean is those those t- that too allowed me to do load, experiment and explore and lead things <laughs> um and i loved it
0: that sounds great it's it's so experimental all that stuff wasn't it and and there's been so much ritual ceremony exploration around what what, yeah just the human psyche I guess and um I lots. what happens then what happens then as we get older and I know for me I'm 63 now and um you know life is quieter I don't travel like I used to I don't Run the the big workshops like I used to. Um, don't do so much ritual type stuff. Partly because I'm, I, I don't want to. I want I'm more contemplative. I I'm, I want to write my books and I love doing my podcast and all the, the, the still quite a few events. But um, you know what 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 is it that why is it important with the advantages of age that we continue to dance that we continue to show up? What does society need from us regards that?
1: Well um so leading on from there and from the dance so that did lead me to um thinking that I would love this is one of my dreams that I managed to do actually during Covid times um I wanted to do an intergenerational project with over 60s okay. but with having younger choreographers so I met these two young hip black choreographers in Harlston whilst I was doing another project. And I thought I'll put together this project, which is called Dance Me to Death. And um, it's gathering together a group of over 60s, non-professional dancers. And I and yeah, calling it Dance Me to Death. And it's a live performance in the cemetery. And I use some of the musicians that used to be on those camps So a cello player and um, percussionist. And we met, and I ran the workshops in the morning on death and dying and brought in ritual work by having an altar and asking people to bring a grief object. And the the young choreographers also joined in that. I mean, I don't think they had ever created dance in that kind of way, where you start, but I wanted us to use the kind of emotional vocabulary from the mornings in our improvisations that would lead to this performance in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So that, I can't tell you how that was just, it was a mad, mad time because it was so focused. So I got an arts council grant, which really nearly killed me, but I did. (laughs) And you know, my son's a filmmaker, so he also helped me in the bits that, oh God, anyway, he did. and we, nine dancers, men and women, we created this. We just, I mean, it was challenging because we did have to learn to count. We had to do things that you don't have to do in five rhythms. Uh, but <laughs> fortunately, one of us, you know, one of them was a little bit of a semi-professional. So he kind of, uh, yeah, he he helped us during those moments. But, Oh, and I was determined to get a procession in, and we managed to do it in the cemetery. I mean, in Kensal Green Cemetery, which is like you know one of the seven great magnificent cemeteries in London, and it was in COVID time, so we had a live performance that was. Hmm. Uh, I mean it. It was. Oh, everybody was in tears at the end. I've,
0: I've seen that film actually. Oh, you I, have. Of course, I seen have that. seen it it's beautiful and it can be seen on your website can't it so we'll make sure the links are there for you for people to witness that you've made other films as well and so this is a way of bringing you know the the um, advantages of aging and that others can be inspired by hey
1: (laughs) yes yes and also talking about death i mean that was the big thing about that was getting people to talk about death and realizing okay there can be a whole process around it, and you can make something beautiful out of it mm-hmm. as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So the
1: other thing that I do in advantages of age is commission pieces, and I have commissioned you, Caroline,
0: lately a writing and- a piece of writing which I must get get finished and sent to you. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> no, but anyway, so one of the things that I adore doing. So you know, I know some quite well-known writers who have also write written for me for the website and it's ended up as this book um but over the last six years i've been commissioning pieces so i i commission a piece a week from somebody and i in the facebook usually i see people discussing things on facebook and i think oh that's an interesting subject let's write something about that i bet i wonder if they'd like to do that so I mean, it's ended up, it's ended up with loads of different, so, um, pieces, because we, I mean, getting the different voices of who we are, as we, because I say, um, advantages of Age is all about ageing differently, being able to Mm -hmm. age differently, that we, there are so many different ways out there, and we can reflect lots of of them. So different pieces have come in from, like Caroline Rosie Dent, who's a death doula and um, runs a death cafe. She wrote about her love, her beloved river. And it was a really, really lyrical piece about how healing the River Lee has been over the years for her and how many tears she has cried as she's walked the River Lee and how amazing that has been. So... There and then, Monique wrote a piece about the hetero woman, which I'd never even heard of the hetero woman, but basically about um which is a whole piece about, in a way, a kind of psychological background to living your life as an older woman, richly and as a single woman. So that that's a lot of where we are at at age. There's a lot of older single women who are living a life that is not sad you know it's not one of the you don't feel sorry for them because they're choosing to live in this way and so Mm. uh, you know we have quite a lot i mean i just had a piece yesterday (laughs) from one of our award winners i'll tell you about the awards in a minute um who called louise butcher she's 51 she had breast cancer in 2022 and she chose not to have restorative um, surgery on her breast she just has had the closed surgery and she runs topless she runs topless marathons she runs topless every day mm-hmm. I mean and she is a force to be reckoned with she really is she's amazing so she won in our um, advantages of age award ceremony that we just had in November we had one of the categories was um inspiring most inspiring personal story and she won that category and she just got on stage and just told an amazing story about herself running and why and just about how you know women do not need to have that and that restorative have to have breasts you know and amazingly brave and amazingly amazingly powerful so so yes, <laughs> those are one of our things: inspirational personal stories. Often, I mean, there's a woman called Ruth Fox who. Are, so one of the things I really enjoy doing is encouraging people to write, and of course I edit people's work. And I've edit I'm ending up editing people's books outside because they become writers and then they start <laughs> writing books. So, but there's a woman called Ruth Fox who lives in Sheffield, and I'd noticed her on Foxbook on um, Facebook kind of like doing things like climbing her magnolia tree and looking across Sheffield from her magnolia tree. And I was like, okay, Ruth Fox, you're an interesting woman. Yes, you're taking time out in your magnolia tree. Um, and she, I noticed she went on these travels by herself in her estate car and where she'd like, la- and I just asked her, "Could you? would you like to write something about your um, wild lone travels? And she did. And it's a really great piece because she's so into the landscapes. And it's something I I wouldn't dare do. I wouldn't go off in my state car and just stay the night in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So I love it that she does do that. And she does it with a a real focus on the magical, um, the magicality of the landscape, but also Mm -hmm. What happens to her within that experience? So, yeah, so very like, And also, men, I must say, men, you know, my partner right, has written about sex in his late 70s, how the pressure's off. Somebody, Ivan Pope, who I don't know, he's uh, he's an artist who's written about get, being diagnosed with ADHD at 57. We had lots of responses to that. <clears throat> so, I've just made them into a book, which is called. Um, sex death and other inspiring stories
0: <laughs> that sounds fantastic and that's coming out soon isn't it it's
1: out now um, it's out now you can buy it through us or through amazon and we're having a book launch actually in queens park i'm so happy we're having a book launch because it's in west london not east london um we're having a um a book launch at a gallery in west london in queens park on march 12th
0: March the twelfth book launch. Yes, fantastic. Yes. So, so people can watch these videos. They can read the the blogs, the the, the pieces of writing on your website. Can they? If yeah, they there are
1: loads of, They can't actually see those. That actually, we need to put those films up. I mean, um, yeah, I think we do need to still put the films up. I think I was taking them around festivals for a long time. So, <laughs> but they need to go up. But the advantage they is our website Um, and people can read lots of different stories and our Facebook group which is, I have to say myself is brilliant Um, Mm. uh, because of all the different opinions and we don't really, people don't get extreme I mean they don't argue in an extreme way, they just discuss things I'm very proud of that it's called Mm. Advantages of Age, Baby Boomers and
0: Beyond Brilliant well we'll put the links for all all of this in 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 with this podcast so that people can connect and and find you there which will be really great very advantageous especially as we're aging you know there is something about you know our society these days that is is promoting youth so ridiculously almost and i walk into a chemist or you know some shop somewhere and there's you know how to avoid aging how to Get rid oh, of your wrinkles. How to stretch your skin out and stop looking old? You know, cover up your grey hairs. And it's like, you know, I'm proud of all of that. I do not want to cover any of that up. You know, it's um, it's very, very peculiar how we've we've so focused.
1: Um, I know, we um, one of our yes. campaigns is constantly to to stop the the youth thing. So you know, me and me and Suzanne for our award ceremony at Hoxton Hall, we had these I had these flags made called an old uh, in a very bold that I put on a kind of bald gown that olden hag and she had old tart so we're constantly trying to reclaim and it's very hard people constantly mm. do the you know it's very hard I mean it's very hard for me too I mean for all of us we're inculcated with thinking that it's a compliment to say oh you look so much younger than you are rather than you look great you look great not for your age you just look great you
0: know yeah. exactly. you look great exactly. so so your work is 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 really vital in in today's society for our for our youth to witness that and for our aging you know where we we go oh and I, I don't have to be different i don't have to try and not look the way that I want to look, um, you know, comp- competing with 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 the youth. It's not necessary. So, you know, it, it is important that your work is out there, hey?
1: Definitely. And I definitely saw that. I mean, I always feel like we're a tribe, advantages of age are a tribe. We're mm-hmm. a tribe of rebellious sorts around age I mean but not in such a kind of staccato way more of a kind of flowing and funny and looking and curious and wonder way but you know I saw through doing our awards how important it is to give appreciation I mean I would never wanted to do these awards again I was saying to Suzanne no no we're not doing it again we've done it now because you know it's a lot of work um, and oh, a, a huge amount of work. And I was thinking, no, we can be like this Alternative Miss World, do it every few years. But when I saw the effect on people and the award winners, because so many people are doing pro-aging things kind of on their own out there and to kind of bring them together, I could see how they were, this community was growing through the awards. Mm-hmm. And that our thing, I, it was so, I can't tell you how satisfying it was that people, had, um. From all over the country, you know, people came That We we gave an award to somebody called Simon Stanford, who runs discos for grown-ups. I discovered him during COVID time. So he runs disco, you know, so he does kind of 80s, he does funk and soul. He's actually coming to London. I think we're all going to his <coughs> disco, but he came down from Nottinghamshire. People, the Coffin Club who, you know, make death and dying more accessible from Hastings, actually. They were just two women who were, they came up from Hastings and they were so brilliant, so funny, so so I loved this, that we were not just this London-centric thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. sounds wonderful.
1: Ooh. It was really great in that way.
0: Anyway. I'll get the dates for that. Sounds really great. Wonderful, Rose. So what is your sole purpose?
1: What is my sole purpose? Uh, my sole purpose is, is just to carry on um, really being able to feel into what it is that, that makes my life rich. You know, I think whatever that is, you know, because it can be different things. I mean, I'm dying to have some time to write poetry because I just haven't had any time lately. Mm. So that's my, you know, quiet time, not organising time, not getting people to do awards, not editing a book. So um, I feel like, but I do feel like really my my sole purpose is kind of to, to carry on living life richly and to take it out there, to take out that that thing that, that you know can inspire other people to to also dare to do what they want to do. Because I do feel like old as you get older, you can do, you can be more creative. Mm. And that, that sounds
0: is, like from when you, you were a child, you know, that daring, you dared to put yourself out there. You dared to go in and get the job that you wanted. You know, you dared to travel, you dared to walk with the greats and, and that daring is a is part of that free spirit, hey and to continue that into, into the aging years. It's
1: daring to, it's daring to da-
0: you know, think you can die
1: well. It's kind of like that, isn't it? I mean, to be even thinking, I'm thinking, OK, well, I will employ a death doula because I might have a new relationship and in, in the last six weeks of my life, I might have this kind of tinkling laughter that I wouldn't necessarily have if I didn't have that death doula. I think... Okay, even if I've got six weeks left or whatever, I could have this new thing happening.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> why and why not? It's been so lovely to... to Really nice. ...sat with you, Rose. Fascinating. Uh, it's, it's really lovely to talk to about you. Your life and that we've got so many crossovers there and so many differences. But um, I really relate to the spirit of who you are and... Uh, what you're bringing to the world, so thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely, lovely early morning on a Friday, gorgeous. <laughs> Let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Well,
0: anyway, you're writing that piece for me, Caroline. Brilliant. I, I thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast, and remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just five pounds a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.